Hello, welcome everyone to the Rotten Horror Picture Show, the horror movie podcast where we talk about films off the Rotten Tomatoes 200 Best Horror Movies of All Time list. My name is Clay and with me as always is Amanda. How are you doing? One of these days, Clay, I'm going to say that I'm doing terrible. Yes. Just to spice it up. Well, if ever there was a time to say you're doing terrible, this might be it because uh, this is a hell of a story about a woman who goes insane. Yeah. Or maybe she doesn't go insane. Maybe there are spirits. Maybe there are ghosts. We're talking yes. today about number 60. I'm sorry, that was a really lame segue, but it worked, it worked for what it needed to do. Uh, number 60 on our list, which is 1961's The Innocents, which has a 95% Rotten wow. Tomato score. Yes. Wow, it's quite a, quite a shining achievement there on the score. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's, it, it's crazy to me how this rating system, like some of these movies can be percentage-wise so high, yep. but lower than you'd think that would put yes. a 95%. I mean, yeah. 60's pretty good. Yeah, all yeah. All things considering. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, had you seen this before? I had not. I yeah. I have read the story mm-hmm. that it is based on. Mm-hmm. It is based on The Turn of the Screw yes. by Henry James. Yes. And I have seen or read several other interpretations mm-hmm. of the same story, but mm-hmm. I had not experienced this one. Yeah. this I came across this. I don't remember how. I, I think... When I when Netflix first existed, this is, this is going to be an old man story. I was going to say. <laughs> this is back when it was just a, we're going to mail DVDs to your house oh, service. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. I was like, this is great. I have access to every movie ever made. And so I started <laughs> Which, looking up. Which like, wasn't even remotely true, but probably it was, back then felt that way. It was more yeah, true yeah, yeah. than it was before. I mean, before yeah. it was just blockbuster video. And it's like, you can get 75 copies of Titanic. Right. But you can't get anything made before 1998, basically. Yeah. Um, and so I had I had been looking up uh, lists of scariest horror movies and stuff like that because I wanted to just, you know, find some new stuff to watch. Yeah. And I think that's where I came across this. I'm not 100% sure, but it sounds right in that pocket. Like, I, I had discovered The Changeling, oh. uh, Exorcist 3. I think I mentioned both of those last episode. But uh, <laughs> Just top of mind lately. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're, they're also ghost stories, and unfortunately, this yeah. one does not have George C. Scott in it. Not, uh, not every movie can, no, unfortunately. unfortunately. <laughs> but this was one where I, I just, I watched it not knowing anything about it. I hadn't read The Turn of the Screw since high school, so it yeah. wasn't fresh in my mind, and so I didn't really know the story that well. And man, it fucking blew me away. Yeah. I was not expecting this to be as good as it was. And yep. I loved it. Yeah. So that's going to do it yeah. for this episode. <laughs> uh, See you next time, everyone. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're going to get into it. We'll take a quick break and then we will talk about the innocents. <sighs> never been a ghost story created especially for the adult moviegoer until The Innocents. <laughs> Do they ever return to possess the living? 20th Century Fox, which presented Deborah Carr in Heaven Knows Mr. Allison and such outstanding motion picture immortals as Snake Pit, Gentleman's Agreement, and Peyton Place, now gives you... The Innocence. Based on the Henry James chiller of macabre evil. 
brilliantly adapted for the screen by William Archibald and Truman Capote. They never return to possess the living. Innocence, produced and directed by Jack Clayton, the man who directed Room at the Top, turned into fearful reality by the magnificent performance of Miss Deborah Carr, with Michael Redgrave as the uncle, co-starring Peter Wingard, Megs Jenkins. I saw him staring. Who, Miss? The same man, the man on the tower. The tower? But now, just now, he was staring past me into the house as if he were hunting someone. Oh, what's he like, Miss? Oh, he had dark, curling hair and the hardest, the coldest eyes. Is he... Would you say he was very handsome? Oh, yes, yes, handsome, handsome and obscene. <laughs> Do they ever return to possess a living? And when did you first see and hear of such things? Why, I made them up. Shall I tell you who taught them to you? I won't ever again, I promise. Shall I tell you who taught you? The things you've done, the things you've said? Shall I tell you his name? <laughs> Perhaps the most controversial concept in human relationships ever presented on the screen. With one of the world's great stars, from the man who directed Room at the Top, a new and adult motion picture experience. The Innocents from 1961, directed by Jack Clayton, written by Henry James, who wrote The Turn of the Screw, John Mortimer, William Archibald, who wrote the play The Innocents, which apparently most of this is based more on the play than the book, Oh, which is interesting. Yeah. Uh, and Truman Capote. Shocker. Starring Deborah Kerr, Martin Stevens, Pamela Franklin, Peter Wingard, Megs Jenkins, Michael Redgrave, and director of photography, my boy, Freddie Francis. Now, <laughs> this seems like a deep cut to pull Freddie Francis out of thin air until I tell you the stuff that this guy has worked on. Because we're okay. going to talk about the him probably at length in this because oh. my number one favorite thing about this movie is the photography. Sure. It is unbelievable. Yes. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful movie. And Freddie Francis is an amazing cinematographer. He actually was a director, a pretty good director in his own right. He directed uh, my favorite of the Hammer Horror uh, Dracula movies, which is Dracula Has Risen from the Grave, which I hope to do on this show eventually. He also did a movie called Paranoiac, um, which is another good Hammer movie that has a young Oliver Reed in it. Kind of same kind of vibe as as this, where it's like a woman uh, ends up as part of this like old money family and she starts going crazy or they're like gaslighting her and shit. It's a pretty, pretty good movie. Uh, he also directed the original tales from the crypt movie. Oh, from 1972. He, I think he, he, uh, well, I guess there's, he, he would have to be the only person who has this honor. He directed the movie tales from the crypt and he also directed an episode of the show in 1996. (laughs) Nice. But, uh, he was, much better known as a cinematographer, I would say, or at least uh, in in greater demand as a cinematographer. 
And some of the movies he did are, did, are, were. <laughs> uh, he did The Innocents. He did The Elephant Man. Oh. He did uh, Dune. What? He did Return to Oz. He did Glory. <laughs> what? He did Cape Fear. He did School Ties. Uh, and his last movie as a cinematographer was David Lynch's The Straight Story, which is David Lynch's only yeah. like normal movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the title is correct advertising. Yes. Have that. you seen that? Uh, God, yeah. A million years ago. I have. I, I need to yeah. watch it because I've, I've never seen that one. Yeah. It's, um, you should watch it. Yeah. yeah. Just put it like that. But anyway, he was a great cinematographer. Um, good director. He direct a lot. A lot of his Hammer movies that were my favorite Hammer movies. But anyway, awesome. Uh, Amanda, what happens in The Innocents? Based on the Henry James story, The Turn of the Screw, a psychological thriller about a woman who takes a governess job for two orphans in a Victorian home. She begins to see what she believes are ghosts and suspects the children's bizarre behavior is the result of supernatural powers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That about sums it up. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Well, Clay, some things you will find in this movie include mm-hmm. voyeuristic statues. You've got to close the curtains in your room. Yeah, the blinds, the shutters, yeah. the cur- whatever. Because yeah. there might be a... Weird crop circle of statues. Yeah, a weird (laughs) line of Romanesque sentrymen. Yes. Chiseled out of marble, staring at you as you change your clothes. Absolutely. Happens to me all the time. That's just your husband. (sighs) Damn it. Uh, Hot cradle robbing cougar makeouts. Yeah. Amanda wrote that one. Um, She did. uh, I don't think anyone would believe that. Ah. Uh, ghosts? Maybe. I mean... Maybe. Possibly. Mm-hmm. No one proves it's not ghosts. And, uh, questionable... I think it's all around, like, conservatorship. Conservatorship, guardian, guardianship. guardianship. Yeah. There's like, a lot of, uh, questionable nannying. Questionable governessing. Yeah. It's all... Those kids are in bad hands all around yes. in this movie. Yeah, like, from start to finish. Yeah. 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 Every adult who comes into these children's lives sucks. Yes, that's that's a really good way to sum it up. I think. <laughs> uh, so yeah, what uh, this is based on Turn of the Screw, which yes. is a very famous ghost story. Uh, what, what's ghost. your ghosts? Ghost, ghost story? <laughs> Question mark. Uh, what's your What's your background with the Turn of the Screw? Uh, so I definitely have had to read it like four times because I majored in English undergrad and graduate because i love redundancy i guess mm-hmm. um so i read it a bunch and i remember reading it in high school hating it reading it in undergrad once hating it reading it later on in undergrad kind of starting to like it and then reading it in grad school and being like this is brilliant okay um and then i saw like most other people who have a netflix subscription mm-hmm. and enjoy horror stuff i watched uh, mike flanagan's Haunting a Bly Manor mm-hmm. was was last year. Wow, was that just? Was he, was it, I think that was that a pandemic era show. I feel like it was, but I I can't remember. I think it was. The pandemic yeah. has been all time now. Yeah. So I've lost track of linear time. Yeah. Someone someone reminded me that Tiger King happened in yes. in March of 2020. 
Yeah. And I was like, no, that was like five years ago. No. No, that was. No. Yeah. No, that was like the first pandemic. It was. Thing. Yes. That was what the entire yeah. country fought yeah. it over. <laughs> well, we had nothing else to do. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So I, I was kind of surprised watching this, how much Mike Flanagan got from this. Yeah. There's a yeah. lot of Bly Man. It, th- he, he, he goes in different directions with the characters. And Very I think much he so. goes in a more. Um, how do you say uh, gentle and less pedophilic way? Yeah, um, m- a lot more modern as well. Yes, which is yeah, yeah. I Pros guess and I was, was going to say ironic, but it, but I guess they are. Well, it's eight in the. It is. It is a, a modern show, more modern show. Because yeah. this, this takes place. This is like a period piece. Takes yes. place in the era of the book, which is the eighteen hundreds. Exactly. Um, but Blind Manor is, I think, takes is it the eighties? Right, you said. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but th- the thing that I didn't, I remember when I first saw this, recognizing this in and of the movie itself, mm-hmm. but it stood out to me so much more after seeing Bly Manor, which is the statues, because yeah. the statues serve the same purpose as all of Mike Flanagan's background ghosts. Yes. And they work so fucking well. Yeah. Like, yeah. every time that somebody turns around, like, and you see out a window, there's, like, a statue just, like, hanging out, staring at them. And, <laughs> and they don't... And they're slightly uncanny. Like, yeah, they're yeah. not... They're not so weird that you're like, oh, well, that's on purpose to freak you out. Yeah. Like, but they are weird enough that when you catch sight of them, it's just sort of like, oh, mm-hmm. what is that even... Like, who is that a statue of? Is that two people, yeah. like, dancing? Or is that, like... What is that? Yeah. yeah. And they are kind of, they're very classical type statues. Yeah. But there is enough other stuff besides the human form that it does make it a little bit hard to make out exactly what it is. Yeah. It makes them kind of spectral to a certain extent. Absolutely. And I think there's something a little more, a little more like lifelike or I don't want to say modern because it's not the right word but like they're, they're classical looking but you would never mistake them for purely like a Roman or a Greek statue yes they're yeah. they're moder- more modern to the time period it's like the time period trying to mimic mm-hmm. that style yes you know yeah. which kind of gives it a weird like out of time quality to it they're, yeah they're really cool it uh it it they felt to me like um it's, it's it's been so long since I read The Shining, but when I saw yeah. the TV movie of The Shining and they did the thing with the moving hedges and stuff. Yes, the topiary. Yeah, I didn't yeah. think it worked in that. <laughs> it probably works better in the book. But it does work better in the book. I was thinking about that while I was watching this, being like, that's probably the effect that they were going for. Yes. And I was really surprised at how well that worked in this with... There's no special effects. It's just right. in the background, kind of in the shot. Your eye's going to dart to it for a second and keep you off off balance. Yep. And it it really helps to build the atmosphere of this this really Absolutely. creepy ghost story. Yeah. And then when the ghosts, quote unquote, do show up. Yeah. They kind of that kind of makes those statues even freakier because now you don't know if you're seeing a statue, if you're seeing a person, or what it is. Yeah, that's that's one great thing that this movie does where. You, when you, when you as the audience member start seeing the ghosts, you then every time you see the statues, you have to look at them twice because you're not sure if it's a statue or a ghost and it's always a statue. Yeah. 
like when 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 it's when you think it's a statue it is a statue yes (laughs) which but it still does the it still gives you that feeling of uncertainty Mm -hmm. so you do have to double take every time and you're maybe paying attention to that and there's other stuff going on in frame yeah which i think is cool and so the thing that this story is most i would say known for is Mm -hmm. it's uh surgical surgically precise use of ambiguity yes uh in terms of what did or didn't happen in the story that you're watching what did or didn't happen off screen or in the history of these characters right and that can be a difficult thing to do in a movie i think this movie does it incredibly well yeah um i i don't have a super good memory of of the book but how did you feel the movie handled that in regards to the the way that the book tries to get it across uh, you know i i think that should this... we be ambiguous about what we're talking about when yeah. we say ambigu- ambiguity <laughs> to make it th- <laughs> right two thematically thematically yes. appropriate um well the, you know to make the the implicit explicit mm-hmm. about what we're talking about it's the question of is she Hot crazy makeouts <laughs> Is she crazy or are there ghosts? Right. That's that's pretty much the central question that both the story and this movie are asking. Mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting because I, I think the Henry James story is even more ambiguous. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I think there's even more detail to that where you are even more left confused about what exactly happened. Because yeah. if I remember correctly, the, the neither one of the children die in the novella. I was trying to f- remember. Yeah. For some reason, maybe I feel... Maybe he does? I feel like the, the ending is also ambiguous as to whether or not he dies. Yeah. Because maybe that's it, too. from what I remember, I could be remembering this completely incorrectly, but I thought the ending was when the governess, who's Miss Gibbons, Gibbons, I think... Giddens? Giddens? Sure. Is, is yelling at Miles to say say his name and all this kind of stuff. She's actually like squeezing him. Ah. And I I I remember reading it and thinking that the ending was implying she squeezed him so hard that he died. I think you're right. Yeah. I I th- I think he does die. But it it still feels more I, I feel like in the movie, in this movie, it feels a little more certain to me, at least, mm-hmm. that she's probably crazy. Yeah. Um, whereas I feel like in the, in the story, there's more of an open-ended... Because I think, I think in this movie, you have Mrs. Gross. Yep. Who's the, um, the, the housekeeper. Housekeeper. The, yeah. Yep. Um, she very much does not see what Ms. Giddens sees. Yeah. And I think that sort of leaves you, you know, you kind of at that point have to think like, all right, if Flora's not seeing it and Miss, Miss, Mrs. Gross isn't seeing it, then Ms. Giddens is, is losing it. Yeah. Whereas I feel like in the novella, it's a little more abstract mm. about whether or not anyone else actually sees anything and... It, it it actually ups the ambiguity factor, whereas I think this one kind of leans a little more towards the psychological yeah. aspects of it. And I think one of the the great scenes where they execute that so well is mm-hmm. uh, well, I, I was watching a, a a video on YouTube talking about 
how well this movie uses ambiguity and stuff. And they they actually put up the definition of ambiguity, which is yeah. which or it's it was a defined by a, another filmmaker, which is yeah. not to make things unclear, but right. to present two competing interpretations, both clear enough that they could be the answer. Yeah. And yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Yeah. yeah. And I think the scene where they do that the best is that final scene at the gazebo with uh, Flora and Miss Gross. Is it Miss Gross? Is that what you said? Yeah, I think she's a Mrs. Mrs. Gross. I, I believe. And uh, Miss Giddens. Yeah. Where uh, Miss Jessel shows up on the water. Yes. And in that scene, they never establish... Everybody's reacting a very specific way. Right. But they never establish in that scene whether or not the other two can see her, see the ghost, see Miss Jessel. Yeah. Until the following scene when Miss Mrs. Gross says, I didn't right. see anything. Yeah. But in that in that singular scene where you see where you're seeing Miss Jessel, it could go either way. Because right. what's actually happening, the way everybody's reacting right. is completely valid to either interpretation. Yes. Yes. Because either Flora, the little girl, is either screaming because her governess, Miss Giddens, is scaring her or she's screaming because she also sees the ghost. Right. And Mrs. Gross is either panicking because Flora is freaking out or she's panicking because she also sees the ghost. Right, right. Yeah. So in that moment, you're sort of like either interpretation, like everybody's reactions makes sense in either case. Yeah. 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 yeah I think it's just uh, it's a uh, it's really well done from that yeah. standpoint. Um, I. <sighs> This is not a podcast about Bly Manor, but <laughs> I kind of got tired of, of that show. Really? Because I think it was too much of the backstory, explaining stuff, and blah, blah, blah. I much prefer sure. this movie because it is so stripped down and yeah. does just present this really tense weird situation and it just lets you sit in it and figure yeah. it out for yourself as to what's going on yeah so i i really like bly manor mm-hmm. um i liked hill house more but i really like yeah. i really liked bly manor but i feel like it's telling a different story sure definitely you know yes. like I, yeah. I think one of the things that um the the sort of like framing narrator of that movie mm-hmm. even says in the beginning of the first episode is that um this is a love story right right and so i think well this one is too <laughs> yeah love story between two ghosts and hot <laughs> cougar makeout action well, now we know what Young Clay's uh, search history on the web was. No. <laughs> you mean young as in yesterday? Yesterday. <laughs> um, but yeah, I feel like th- this movie is is both, both Bly Manor and this movie took the same source material and decided to tell different stories with sure, it. Sure, absolutely. Which is how yeah. I kind of look at it. I think this one... This one does a better job of being substantively scary, mm. not just scary looking. Sure. Um, Bly Manor has some great like jump scares or some great, you know, visuals with with the way the ghosts look and the mm-hmm. lady in the lake and all that and some very tense kind of suspense moments. 
but this one's a scarier concept. Mm-hmm. Like thematically, it's scarier. Um, what the characters go through is scarier. The conclusions you can draw in either direction are more frightening. Whereas Bly Manor has this kind of almost happy ending. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for, it's, for it's most bittersweet, people, but it's, it's bittersweet, yeah. but like in general, you know, the, the good guys win. Sure. And yeah. the bad guys lose. And even those people who die kind of find some sort of peace. Right. Yeah. After a point. And, mm. and you know, this movie is much more like you, you don't get that kind of comfort, bittersweet right. or not. It's just not there. Yeah. 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 I, it's. The uh, um, I think the thing that really makes this whole thing hang together is the central performance from Deborah Kerr, yeah, Kerr, which is fantastic. Oh yeah, and uh, she plays this governess who is kind of I this this video I was watching was was making a lot of comparisons to The Shining, and I hadn't yeah. thought about it until the guy was mentioning about how it starts with a job interview. Yep, it starts with a character who. Right off the bat is questionably sane. Yeah, to some yeah. You have sort of an uneasy feeling right away yeah. when you're like looking at her. You're like, oh, she's so pretty and she seems so nice. But then like her reactions to things are a little weird. Like even in that job interview where he's like, well, it says here on your application that you love children more than anything. And she's like, yes, I do. Yeah. And it's yes. like, oh, okay. A single adult woman like maybe do you love other things too? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Why are you so fixated on children? I don't know. Yeah, there's something immediately sort of unsettling about her. Yeah. yeah. And she ends up taking this job in a remote place that involves yes. children that she's not ready for. Yes. And ends up getting, uh, let's just for the sake of argument, say corrupted by this, the house. Sure. Sure. You know? Sure. That's one way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And ends up going nuts, essentially. Whether or yeah. not there whether or not there are ghosts, it's right. It's clear she goes nuts. Right. You can argue either way that that she's <laughs> mentally not not stable mm-hmm. anymore. But the uh the big difference is this has the 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 ca- the characters of the children who bring this other element in, um which is this this idea that the uh, previous governess and this guy Peter Quint Peter Quint yes Peter Quint yes not Peter Quill not that's Star Lord not <laughs> what's what's Quint's name full name in Jaws I don't remember oh um I don't remember either uh but you've got these two previous characters who are have since died but ha- hang heavy shadows over the place especially the children yes. who have died on the property yes. under both kind of if not mysterious kind of hush hush circumstances oh, right because their their relationship with one another their behavior before they died mm-hmm. and then the ways in which both of them died were shameful right you know like yeah. like quint dies because he comes home drunk mm-hmm. so he's Is been that- out carousing he comes home wasted and he slips on the icy stairs and he hits his head and he dies is that 100 percent short though because i feel like the way that she kind of tells that story implies that that's what we think happened but who's there, to say so there is this is interesting because i think it, there's the the theme of ambiguity throughout this entire story mm-hmm. 
Um, because you're then you then find out later on. So, backing up a little bit, the children loved Miss Jessel, mm-hmm. their governess. Peter Quint and Miss Jessel were in a relationship. Mm-hmm. Quint was abusive, an age appropriate relationship, an age appropriate relationship, <laughs> but an abusive one yes. nonetheless. Yes, he was you know physically. He sounds like he was physically and verbally abusive towards yeah. her. Mm-hmm. And then Quint dies because he comes home drunk, he slips on the stairs, and he falls and hits his head. But Miles is the one who finds him. Mm -hmm. So there's this kind of like, Miles was there. Miles saw what happened. Yeah. Miles maybe made it happen. Unclear. Unclear. We're We're never given any explicit evidence that he did something. But we are sort of left, like, it's left totally open-ended. Like, Miles never says, yes, here's what happened, let me tell you. We, mm-hmm. we never get to hear that story. We only get Miss, Mrs. Gross's version of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and the central story going forward is Miles gets expelled from school. For question mark. For question mark. Yeah. We don't know why. Yep. But Miss Giddens takes this idea that miles got sent home for something uh something he said or something he did that disturbed yes. the other children yes and adds that to this secret history of miss jessel and peter quint and their yeah. influence on these children and sort of she conflates it into some sort of well, the, the 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 end of it is she thinks that the kids are possessed, but she thinks yes. she thinks that that Miles has been corrupted in some way by Peter Quint, whether yeah. or not that's in stuff he has learned, like you know swear words or something, or if yeah. he's been molested in some sense. It's, they say neither of those things out loud, but right. you are free to assume any of those and possibilities. That's, that's really the thing with this movie is that there is so much room for interpretation with everything. Like, even, you know, when when Ms. Ms. Giddens talks about corruption, at times, at different times, that means she almost treats it almost like a disease. Mm-hmm. You know, like like a medical disease, like sure. something the children need to be cured of. But then other times she treats it like 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 a moral sin. Mm. Like it's like they've been corrupted by the sin that they've been exposed to. And yeah. then she also treats it like possession. Yeah, yeah. And so it could be any of those things. Yeah. Um, But another thing that this movie leaves am- ambiguous that I think you and I probably both really appreciate is what happened to these kids' parents. Oh yeah, they, they don't even they yeah. don't even try to explain. Exactly, they don't they're even just, go into it. Dead. It doesn't matter. Yeah. They're just gone, yep. and the uncle's the guardian, and then this other stuff happened. Yeah. Like that uncle, probably my favorite character in the whole movie. Oh my god, he is. <laughs> I mean, I really respect a man who knows himself. Yeah. <laughs> even the even him, even yeah. the way he's talking to Miss Giddens at the beginning. Yes. You could you can really read into why he's not quote unquote he doesn't think he's fit to have to have these children. Yes. I mean, like my instant, my first thought was, is he gay? Not that that obviously it prevents you. No, from no, having no. But, kids, but if but his like, his whole thing is time. he prefers the life in town and right. away from the children, and it's like, is he? promiscuous he's, with women, or is he having relationships with? men clearly he he lives some sort of life that is 
uh, would be impeded by the presence of children. Yes, whatever that life is, whether it's just general carousing with one's friends Mm -hmm. or like full-on debauchery back in those days. Like, I kind of love that he doesn't make excuses about it. Like, he doesn't try to explain. He's not just like, well, you know, I work very hard and I don't have time for the children in my life because I'm always at work. He's just sort of like, nope, not me. Yep. (laughs) Like, I'm a bachelor. Yeah. I'm always going to be a bachelor. I don't do these things. Kids. That's for stupid dead brothers in law (laughs) brothers. Yeah. And it's. It, it's also, it's a great first scene with Miss Giddens because yes. the other thing about Miss Giddens is that she is like so clearly repressed Yes, that even in that first scene, she's like basically like on fire for this guy that she doesn't, like it's, yeah. it, she's not like panting over him, but like her pres the way that she kind of like sits in his presence and the way that yeah. she kind of talks about him later, it's clear that she's, you know, kind of hot for him a little bit. You know who she reminds me of? Uh, the, the, um, the mother superior and the devils. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. There's yeah. that like level of sort of like untapped fanaticism, just yep. waiting for a trigger and, this movie is us getting to watch that trigger occur and what direction that sort of like fanatical bent mm-hmm. in her mind takes her to. And the uncle in this yes. is, I believe, the father of Vanessa Redgrave, who played oh. that, that character in the in The Devils. Well, maybe my subconscious brain was putting more things together than I realized. Yeah, you know, I, I thought the same thing. Yeah. At some point, I was like, this is kind of good. Because the other thing, because like, her performance is so good. And it kind of has that oh, yeah. same feeling as as uh, Vanessa Redgrave's performance in the yeah, Devils. where she's so intense and also just tense, yes, like physically, like yes. like she's uncomfortable for different reasons. Like like Vanessa Redgrave in the Devils has a physical deformity mm-hmm. that makes her kind of like existing in the world uncomfortable for her. Whereas Ms. Giddens is always super buttoned up. Like she's always in these long sleeved, Mm -hmm. high necked, huge skirted dresses. Like she's always extremely prim and proper. Mm -hmm. The one time we see her sort of undone is when she's getting ready for bed. Mm -hmm. Like we see her in bed a couple times, but the one time we see her up and moving around with her hair down and in a nightgown she has like a psychotic episode. Yeah, it's great. It's my favorite scene in the movie. It's great, yeah. but is it, or or you could say she's the victim of a haunting. Sure. I don't want to discount that interpretation, but it kind of shows that like when the corset comes off mm-hmm. and and like the severely pinned back hair and all of that isn't protecting her, mm. she becomes vulnerable to these kind of like flights of insanity yeah yeah it's really interesting how like her physical loosening shows like a mental loosening too and you know what i noticed on this watch is that at a certain point i think i think it's right after that scene yep i think i know what you're gonna say she starts wearing black yep and is even tighter yes than she had been before yes and starts almost looking like miss jessel yeah and it's it's a really really great visual change for her being like okay she has crossed the threshold here yeah and it's really interesting because it's like black is a color of mourning Mm -hmm. 
And so it's like she looks like Miss Jessel, but Miss Jessel was in mourning because Quint died. Right. Why is she dressing like she's in mourning? It's mm. it's almost like a I don't want to say that she knows she's going to kill one of these kids, but <laughs> but it is almost like she's preemptively in mourning for Miles. Yeah, yeah. You know, like like I don't I don't know if I'm stretching it here. If there's like a subconscious part of her that thinks she's already lost them. Well, at that point, I think see because the one thing that I found strange about this mm-hmm. is I did think she makes a pretty big leap. From yeah. there's something kind of weird going on to the, with these kids to yeah. these children are both possessed by the spirits of the dead people who lived here before. And yeah. that point of view coincides with the, the, the look change. Yeah. And so she it might just be like she has decided that these children are lost or at least yeah. Miles is lost. Right. And so maybe that's the morning you know, right. metaphorical or otherwise that she's in. That's a good point. Yeah. And it, it, it's it's interesting because I think, um, well, first of all, I want to say that the kids in this are fucking amazing. They're really good. They're yeah. such good. at. Like, I just was watching this and the whole time I was like, I, I, I if, if all child actors were like this, mm-hmm. like they, they were like mind blowingly good. Um, the they, kid, the kid who plays Miles, actually yeah. has a pedigree of playing creepy children. Really, he was also in the original Village of the Damned. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Um, but they have this like great balance of like childhood mischievousness and like innocence mixed with like this very unsettling like overly adult attitude. Yeah. That I think we're maybe a little bit less impacted by as a modern audience because we're kind of used to the idea of like super precocious children. Sure. Like it's sort of become a stereotype and like a a cliche in a lot of movies. Did you know that the human head weighs eight pounds? (laughs) Who is that? What is that from? Jerry Maguire. Okay. Thank you. Very timely 25 year old movie reference. (laughs) Well, isn't it like one of the most popular TV shows on network television is like, fucking young sheldon but do you but do you yep. know what i mean like like the precocious child who acts like an adult sure yeah has become such a trope and a cliche now that i think we don't notice it as much yeah but when this movie came out i don't think it was quite such a like oh yeah okay we've seen this before mm. so the fact that they act so adult would be more unsettling, I think. Yeah. If we weren't so used to kind of seeing this sort of thing in media now. So I know like in in the Henry James story, that's part of the evidence that something is not right because this is not oh, how children okay. act. Sure. They are acting too much like adults, like Miles especially, mm-hmm. where he has these sort of like knowing looks towards Ms. Giddens and, and calls her like darling and my dear and things like that. Like, when he called her sugar tits at the end. Like, <laughs> Yikes. Right before he died. Yes. His last gasp. <laughs> I loved you the most sugar tits. And then he faded away. <laughs> That's how this movie ended, right? I think so. Yeah. I mean, who's to say really? <laughs> who's to say? It's it all ambiguous. Yeah. Maybe he's not dead. Um, But yeah, I, I, I think that that kind of explains some of her leap to yeah. the corruption of these children, you know, like 
Miles especially. I mean, Miles does try to choke her out at one point. Yeah. That's yeah, yeah. Pretty fucking dark. To be f- to be fair, I'm going to go into the to be fair uh aisle again. Uh-oh. Which you're so afraid of me going into. Always and forever. <laughs> this feels like the perfect movie made by someone who doesn't have kids. Because like I as someone who does not have kids, I have been in the position where I've been like that kid seems a little bit too old to be saying that stuff. There must be something wrong with him, right? Are they supposed to do this? <laughs> or alternatively, they seem too young to be saying this stuff. Or maybe that's what I meant, yes. Either way. I yeah. mean, on both cases, you're like, what is happening? Yeah, but yeah. there's always there's always a disconnect. Like when, yeah. obviously, if they're your, your children, you see this stuff, you you know, you know how they act. But you know, yeah. if you come into that situation and your child has, sounds like the baby from Who Framed Roger Rabbit or something. <laughs> Which I'm not going to say I've experienced recently, but oh my god! But you have. <laughs> I don't know. Have I? Who's to say? Who's to say? Trying to leave it ambiguous. It's it it it's weird. Yeah. It, it can catch you off guard. Yeah. And if I mean, that's the only thing you're thinking about while you're at a house out in the 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 countryside, just staring at these kids. Yeah, like I mean, my Jack Torrance staring out the window. You're going to go crazy thinking about it. My friend's daughter uh, recently told her to. Uh, convey to my husband that they have unfinished business <laughs> <laughs> which has left us both convinced that an eight-year-old girl is going to come and kill him oh yeah yeah nope, he's that's, yeah, yes. he's out he's nothing, gone nothing ambiguous about yeah, that yeah tell to greg we yeah. have unfinished business <laughs> but uh yeah the the children are fantastic and like absolutely one of the creepiest scene well we'll get into the the creepiest scene or yeah i would one, say it's one of the but one of the creepiest scenes is when they play dress up yes and miles comes down i don't know i'm gonna try and get the clip of this for the show if i can but yeah miles comes down the stairs dressed as like a king or something sort Mm -hmm. of with this this candle and he says he has this poem that he's gonna recite yeah and it is a creepy kind of sexual weird poem about his master and doing things for his master and his master being dead and there's allusions to this dead master coming out of the grave yes and it is creepy as hell yeah and the way they shoot him is unbelievable because he's lit by the candle and he starts he goes down into like a low whisper at the end yeah he like stares out the window and like whispers for someone to come in and like be welcome and stuff like that yeah yeah it's eerie as fuck (laughs) a poem what shall i sing to my lord from my window what shall i sing for my lord will not stay what shall i sing for my lord will not listen Where shall I go, for my Lord is away? Whom shall I love when the moon is arisen? Gone is my Lord, and the grave is his prison. What shall I say when my Lord comes a-calling? What shall I say when he knocks on my door? What shall I say when his feet enter softly, leaving the marks of his grave on my floor? Enter, my lord. Come from your prison. Come from your grave. For the moon is arisen. Welcome, my lord. The other thing to remember when you're watching this movie, and I think this is something they do a really great job of, 
is that feeling of isolation mm. where it is. And I know, you know, they mentioned there's a couple other like maids and there's the cook and the gardener. Who you never see. But you don't see. You see one. You see other than Mrs. Gross. You see one other maid. Who I forgot about because you only see her like once. Yes. And then you, she pops up again. I was like, who the hell is yeah. that? <laughs> but that's it. And, 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 and she's a relatively young woman. Mm-hmm. So what you have here is this enormous house in the middle of nowhere with a couple women in it and a couple kids. Yeah. So the idea for Ms. Giddens that there might be a man hiding and yeah. stalking somewhere around the grounds. Yeah. Like it's a big enough house that even if you add in the maid and the cook and the gardener, that's still not a lot of people for a place this big. Mm-hmm. And so if somebody knew the grounds, they could hide there very easily. Right, yeah. And back then, you know, the women in that position are going to be extremely vulnerable. Sure, yeah. So like it adds a level of like, fear for the characters that i think plays on their on on especially miss giddens on her mind very quickly yeah yeah yeah. and how how do you feel about the way that they handle the ghosts i like it i yeah i i i like it for a couple reasons i think the first being that they don't dress them up like ghosts yeah you know nobody's Mm -hmm. in a sheet Right. Like nobody has like crazy face makeup on with like, oh, big black circles drawn around their eyes Mm -hmm. and like, oh, Peter Quinn's pretty close. Like they they walk the line with him close, but he's not he's not like done up in makeup. Sure. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? He doesn't look like a corpse. He's lit in ways that are meant to make him look extra scary. Oh, man. That first scene when he's at the window. Oh, it's so good. His face goes back, but you can still see the pinpoint lights in his eyes. Yeah. That's amazingly done. Which I was surprised to see in this movie because that feels like a very modern thing. Yeah. To do that pinpoint eye light thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's fantastic. Yeah. And and they do it to really good effect because he sort of fades into view in the the window. And then, yeah, the fading out where it's just the kind of like glittering black eyes. It's really, really great. Like a doll's eyes. Like a doll's eyes. I'll never wear a life jacket again. (laughs) Um, But I think that not dressing them up to look like spooky phantoms Mm -hmm. in the spooky phantom house, like does uh, it, it, it makes them scarier mm. in my opinion because there is a long period of time where at first you don't actually know if they're ghosts or not right yeah like you're like these might just be people outside who have come to menace this this group of you know women and children and then later on when you do think they're ghosts or they might be ghosts they're still like I don't know. There, there's just this level of like you can't tell who's alive and who's dead when you see them. Yeah, they match the statues more mm-hmm. than if they were covered in fake blood or like kind of like wavy or half see through. Um, and they seem like corporeal either mm. way. Like they could just walk over and do something, right? Which yeah. I think is scary. Um, and I think they use them the right amount. Yes. Like they don't yeah. make them show up so often that you're like, all right, this is getting old, mm. but they pop up frequently enough that they throw you off. Like there's the one, I think my favorite one is actually um, 
when Miss Giddens is walking down the hallway, I think they're pl- she's playing hide and seek with oh, the children. Oh yeah, and a woman in black just walks like she's coming up to like a T intersection, and a figure in black just walks across in front of her. Yep, and you don't even know yet. Like like we haven't even gotten that far into the story of Miss Jessel and Peter Quint. So mm-hmm. you don't even really know who that's supposed to be. Right. Yes. And there's nobody else around, and nobody ever really comments on it. Like. Mm-hmm. Even she doesn't really Even comment on it. Even she doesn't yeah. really comment on it. And it, it's just kind of there and gone pretty quick. I think it's really, really effective. Yeah. And I um, I hadn't totally pinned this down myself when I was watching it. But in the video I was watching, they pointed out that one of the great things about this and the way they handle the ghosts is we don't see them before Miss Jessel. Uh, sorry, Miss Giddens sees them. It's always yes. she reacts first and then we see what she's looking oh, at. Oh, yeah. And that goes a long way to support this amb- ambiguity argument where it's like, well, she's the first person to see these. So we're right. a- essentially seeing it through her point of view. Yeah, we're in her perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing that's really great about this is, like you're saying, they don't dress these ghosts as ghosts, like yes. traditional ghosts. Yeah. But what they do is you never get a really good look at them. Even when Peter Quint's face is up against the glass, you're looking at it through like a a foggy or kind of wet glass. Yes. So it's kind of diffused. Miss Jessel, you don't get within 50 yards of Miss Jessel ever. Like she's right. always in the distance. You don't. I don't. Need, I couldn't even tell you what her face looks like. It's just she's just a figure. Right. You see. You see a woman in a black dress, and then when you see her outside, you see the wet, dark hair. Yes. And yeah. that's it. Yeah. And like, yeah, you you don't get. There's like a couple, like a couple scenes with her in the house, but even then, they're like the one where with her kind of walking through the hallway, and then in the children's schoolroom mm-hmm. where she shows up, like. Ms. Giddens sees her sitting at the, at the teacher's podium there. Right, right. But even then, well, her head's do, down yeah. on the desk. I guess you do get a kind of a good look at her face in that scene. But, but not that even, great. Yeah. Like, her head's kind of down on the desk. She's, like, weeping into her arms. Right, yeah. So you really don't ever get, like... There's never one of those scenes that you get sometimes now in horror movies where, like, somebody opens or closes the door and right in the mirror, right over their shoulder is, like, the reflection right. of the yes, ghost and yes. it literally puts them right next to each other. Like... You never get a moment like that. You're always kind of like trying. Your your brain is trying to catch up to what right. your eyes are seeing and you never quite get there. Yeah. And I think one of the things that makes these ghosts so scary too is they are not shy about hanging on the ghosts. Yeah. <clears throat> so like what you're talking about, those, those, those mirror jump scares. Yeah. They're generally jump scares. Pretty quick. Yeah. Pretty quick. It's just a blah. And you know, then they're usually gone again or whatever. But when you give some distance and you don't just have them disappear immediately, yeah, then it starts to get under your skin about like, oh shit, this is still like, like they do it. The thing that I love about this and they, they do it more mostly in that final gazebo scene, yeah. but they don't do the normal thing where it's like, she looks, there's a ghost, they <laughs> cut back to her, then they cut back to where the ghost is and the ghost is gone. Yeah. They usually give you at least one other shot of the ghost before they do that. Yeah. When they get to that gazebo scene, 
every time they cut back, Miss Jessel is still there, yeah, and it's she's fucking sta- terrifying. She's just standing. She's not there. doing anything. Right. But everybody's freaking out. You can't yeah. tell who's seeing this and who isn't. Yeah. And they keep cutting back, and she's still there. And the ghosts don't have to do anything. No, they don't do a goddamn particularly thing. menacing. Like, like I said, there's the one moment where you see Miss Jessel, and she's crying. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Every other time you you see you encounter one of these ghosts, they're sort of like silently moving from one spot to another. Mm-hmm. Or it's Miss Jessel and she's just standing still. Or it's Peter Quint and he's just standing on top of the tower. Yeah. Like they're yeah. just standing there. They're not menacing you. They're not chasing you. They're not coming after you. They're not cackling. They're not screaming. They're not right, like... Right. There's really... You don't need any of that to be unsettled by them. They are unsettling just because they're there. Yeah. And another another interesting thing going from the, the point of view at which they're shown, mm-hmm. we get a good look at Peter Quint's face Yeah, only after she sees a picture of Peter Quint. Yes. She never sees a picture of Miss Jessel. Yeah. And which is probably why we never get a good look at her face because yep. if these are figments of her imagination, there's no face to conjure. Right. Because there's nothing to base it off of. Yeah, and and I do think it's interesting that like she finds these artifacts of them and then starts seeing them mm-hmm. because you can justify you can still justify either interpretation of the story. Either she found those artifacts and that kind of triggered some sort of haunting because right. she kind of unearthed these Beca- the, the the music box and the picture of 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 quint because the attic has the two things that every haunted house oh needs to God. have to be efficiently haunted which is a creepy music box yeah and a wheelchair from the 1800s and a, like a creepy clown doll thing yeah they had one of those too Fuck yeah that. it was basically the basement from cabin in the woods but it was the attic of this yeah place. or the attic from uh black christmas yes yeah or that yeah <laughs> um but yeah, like with that, you can either say she found these artifacts and they sort of awoken these spirits mm-hmm. or she found these artifacts, saw the picture of Peter Quint and, and her subconscious mind latched onto it. Right, right, yeah. right. Um, so I do want to talk about the creepiest scene, which is <laughs> the hot makeout action. You just want to talk about your favorite scene. <laughs> I hope I, Every I don't, boy's I, dream. I don't know if my girlfriend can hear me behind us, but I hope she can, and I hope she's about and happy about it. I, I don't think she can, but <laughs> don't worry. I'll tell her later. Because okay. um, we, she, we got to see this in the theater at the, the Brattle in Cambridge, which was, it was amazing. Great. It was really great. Um, my girlfriend's not a fan of horror movies. <laughs> I thought this Turns being... Turns out she's not a fan of child abuse either. Yeah, I thought this being a, a ghost story from 1961, it wouldn't be too bad. I forgot about some of the stuff in this. <laughs> she did not love it. Especially the scene where Miles just lays a hot, big-ass kiss on oh, yeah. Miss Giddens. And I've never been so effectively creeped out by a kiss... They, yeah. they do it so well because it, it goes way too long. Yes. And then after he pulls away, it's smack on the mouth, too. It's like an adult yeah. an adult kiss. Yes. And then after he pulls away, they hang on just the bottom part of her mouth. Yep. And even in there, like, her face is like, ugh, <laughs> that was not okay. Yeah, but she's still, like, you can tell she's kind of thinking, like, well, these children have, like, something, like, 
she's not she's trying not to upset miles mm-hmm. so she kind of tries to make herself like smile a little bit afterwards and be like well good night mm-hmm. you know like it's 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 this interesting miss giddens is this interesting combination of like i think there's a part of her that really genuinely does care about these children like a big part of her that really genuinely cares about these kids and it's like they've lost their parents their their prior governess who they loved dies mm. and like miles has been expelled like she clearly knows that he's like a troubled kid yeah but in that scene she just like does not know how to react to him like after it happens she's just sort of like okay good night yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it's uh it's a it's a pretty disturbing scene yeah, and it adds to what we were saying earlier about like the kids acting like adults. Right. Yeah. Like. Yeah, because I mean, yeah. if if a if a kid, a sweet little kid, came over yeah. and kissed you like he was your boyfriend, you would you would be put off. Be like, why does he know how to? What has he been watching? Nine hundred two one zero. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or like, has somebody done this to him? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And it's it's especially disturbing when you take their ages into account because yeah. it's not like, you know, Miles is not 14 or 13 or even 12. He's like nine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's a little kid. Yeah. Flora is probably what, like seven. Yeah, I think so. Somewhere you know, there. you yeah. know, like they, they are they are young. They are 10 and under like they, neither one of them is older than 10 years old. Right. And so this behavior isn't even just like. Oh, well, they're almost teenagers and they're sort of pushing the envelope with like what they can get away with. It's just like, no, this is this would not occur to a 10 year old. Right. Right. Yeah. Do you have any uh, thoughts on what it is that Miles did to get him expelled? Because the one thing that a girlfriend pointed out to me that I didn't even put together. Yeah. Is the fact that Miles clearly has a penchant for animal cruelty. Yes. And because he was sleeping with a dead pigeon under yes, his pillow one of his pigeons and yeah. he takes that turtle and chucks the turtle through the glass and stuff yep and so there's the implication that maybe he killed an animal or something uh but i guess they it, it comes back to him say, having said something i think right is it is that the idea that he said something that disturbed the other children i don't really remember it's in the, another thing this movie does really really well is the sort of subtlety of these things mm-hmm. where it's just like throwaway lines of dialogue between two characters or like, well, the letter said this, but then it also said that. And then you move on and it's never addressed right, again. Right. Um, so I don't really remember if there's like an explicit, like it was something he said, but I, 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 I kind of, I think you're right. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I think if he learned, if he followed Peter Quint around so much, and Peter Quint really was the sort of bad guy that Mrs. Gross seems to think he was. Mm-hmm. I could imagine it being like, you know, something he learned from him. Sure. I sort of still stand by my interpretation that Miles maybe killed Peter Quint. Mm, okay. And maybe he was talking about that at school. Possibly, yeah. I mean... And then the animal cruelty kind of fits into that too. Yeah, yeah. He is. He is. Like, well, he doesn't pee the bed, and he isn't an arsonist, but he's well, on his way to becoming a serial killer. <laughs> well, and like you know, if you think about 
the character that they sort of conjure of Peter Peter Quint of this sort of like no morals, nothing is too depraved kind of vibe. Mm, like, yeah, is there a potential that he was hurting Flora? Yeah, because I mean, they do, as you said, they do set up that Quint and Jessel were in a abusive relationship, and the right. way that Miles talks to miss giddens at the end yes where he starts screaming at her and yeah. calling her a hussy and yes stuff like that. telling her she's a filthy mind and yeah like feels that. very much like something that he may have heard quint say to miss jessel right and if quint treats miss jessel that way how is he probably treating a little girl sure like yeah. i mean i think there are a lot of like again very ambiguous but still potentially undertones of sexual abuse happening to one or both of these kids mm-hmm. But even if even if you don't agree with that interpretation, a, a little girl like Flora being around a man like that, he's probably not going to be very nice to her. Sure. And sure. the one thing I think that you can see with Miles is that he's very devoted to his sister. Mm-hmm. I I think I think Bly Manor goes into this, and I actually kind of agree with it in that the idea that Miles gets expelled on purpose. Oh, sure. Okay. That he wants to come home. He doesn't want to be there. Yeah. And Flora knows he's coming home. And so I always interpreted that the same way Bly Manor does, which is that they talked about it ahead of time. Oh, interesting. Where it was like, all right, you don't want to be there alone. I don't want to leave you there alone. I don't want to be here. I'm going to get myself expelled. So I'll be home before you know it. Yeah. So that would explain why she's always like, Miles is coming home. Miles is coming home before they even get the letter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So that's my kind of theory is that like, he acts out or does or says something intentionally to get him sent back home because mm-hmm. he doesn't want to be there. Mm-hmm. Do you find that there it hurts the story at all to not have that stuff more fleshed out, whether it's what he did or didn't do or specific backstory involving um, Quint and Jessel? Because yeah. I know when Capote came on, mm-hmm. one of the things that he did, I, I, I think I'm... I think this is the story I could be, might be one of the other writers. I can't remember. Hmm. I apologize if it is. It was either Capote or one of the other, other writers. What they did was they actually cut out a bunch of backstory that showed yeah. flashbacks of Quint and Miss Jessel. Yeah. Because they felt that have, showing them alive makes them too, uh, um, cements them in the world too much and yeah. takes away a lot of that that mystery and ambiguity about what these people were about or what they may or may have yeah. not have done. Yeah. And cause one of the things I love is that they don't really get into their backstory. So all of this soil is totally fertile for you to imprint on any of these ideas. Yeah. I, I think in the case of this movie, I, I agree. I like that. They, kind of removed all of that and Mm -hmm. left it very open-ended and and didn't go into details and i think for me the reason why that works is because this movie is fundamentally about ms giddens sure yeah and she doesn't know yep she wasn't there she finds out what she can through gossip because these these characters have already died right and so i think it, it what it does is it 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 
opens things up to interpretation from the audience, but it also roots you even more firmly in Miss Giddens' point of view, yep. where you only know as much as she can know. Yeah. And yep. she can't possibly know what their relationship was really like or what was really going on or what Miles did when he was at school yep. or any of these things because she wasn't there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. She can only rely on what she's told <laughs> and what she thinks she's seeing. You, we, we don't get a 45-minute yeah. purgatory flashback where peter quint comes to terms with the fact that his father abused him or something yeah jesus yeah they all those the, i really that one did go a little too far yeah I'll say i that. really <laughs> like mike flanagan i think he makes yeah. really good stuff yeah but the he always pushes that stuff just too far and that was the one in yeah. blind man where i was like okay did you uh, you are are you currently watching midnight mass or did you finish it i am currently watching it so do not spoil okay. anything for me how far into it are you like one episode okay never mind well yeah there's another midnight mass is a different it has a lot of the same hallmarks but he yeah. doesn't use flashbacks yeah he has a lot of people talking to each other sure which right because has... there have been characters who've been away for a long time so yes the sort of like narrative device is well i haven't been here so you have to fill me in right yeah, yeah. and i think it works a lot of the time sometimes yeah. i don't there's one instance late into the show Okay. Where it's like, okay, things are starting to get going. We're starting to hit the stride <laughs> Let's here. Let's sit down and talk about it. Yeah. There's, I knew there's, it. <laughs> there's, it's not even that. It's it's oh. like even worse than that because oh, it's no. like there's a cert, there's one character who, you know, they're they're coming to this character with, with some information about what's going on and then grinds to a halt for like five minutes while he just tells his backstory. Okay. And it's like, it's all driving to a singular point yeah. or whatever, but it's like- Ugh. it's interesting not not i know this is not an episode about mike flanagan <laughs> but Yet, I, he's on the list he's many times on so. the list um but i i was visiting i was visiting home the other day and my younger brother and i were talking about midnight mass and mm-hmm. and, and some other stuff and um he said about, he said something about mike flanagan that i really agree with where he said that mike flanagan doesn't really actually make horror mm-hmm. things like he sort of uses horror, like the genre and the tropes and the symbolism to tell his, the point that he wants to tell. Sure. Yeah. And it's sort of like, you know, when you start Hill House, it's like, this is about grief. Right. Yeah. When you start Bly Manor, it's sort of about like, this is about letting go. Right. When yeah. you start Midnight Mass, it's like, this is about faith and belief. Like, yeah. he just has these big thematic concerns and he uses like horror trappings to tell that story. Mm-hmm. And I think that like, the innocence doesn't does that a little bit, but but isn't quite the same. Like sure, there are sure. bigger themes with this interpretation of this story about like this sort of like idea of repression mm-hmm. and the question about like is this somebody losing their mind or is this ghosts? Like, is there some sort of deeper corruption happening to these children? Either way. Mm-hmm. But also, like, I think this movie is also just trying to tell a good ghost story. Oh, definitely, yeah. Like, in yeah. a way that some of the other interpretations of, like, Turn of the Screw don't. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I read a book recently that was another modern... Yeah, it was a novel. It was another modern retelling of Turn of the Screw. And it had some interesting ideas because it went into, like... You know, we have smart homes mm-hmm. nowadays, and it kind of leaned way into that sort of thing where it's like, if everything is controlled via passwords and apps, like, 
what happens if somebody can get into that system and start fucking with things and, they and seem to be doing that in the new scream they movie do seem, well. seem yes. to be doing that in the new scream but even then it wasn't it just wasn't as compelling to me as this because it did the same thing that the flanagan thing did which is like i'm gonna go back into every little piece of sure. this i'm gonna tell the whole backstory of each character i'm gonna give you this sort of prismatic every angle view of what actually is happening here yeah and I do really love that this movie does not do that. It's like yeah. you're very firmly stuck with Miss Giddens. Whether or not you want to be, she's she's the lens through which you're you're seeing most of this and you have to just decide for yourself whether or not you believe her or you think she's going crazy. Yeah. The one the 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 big theme that stood out to me in, in it in this this time was um I, I've been I'm working on a new comic with a friend of mine that is rooted in the eighties satanic panic. Oh, cool. And I just listened to a podcast all about Mike Wernke, who was sort of one of the forefathers of the satanic panic movement. He was a Christian comedian whose entire oh. bit was that he was a reformed Satan high priest of the Church of Satan. Oh Jesus. And he basically just made a bunch of shit up and, and ginned up all this. And the actual Fear. Church of Satan is like, excuse me, sir. Yeah. No, you he weren't. Was, he, he wasn't saying he was part of the Church of Satan. He said he yeah. was a Satanist, that he got performed it, got black it, got masses. And, you know. He all, wishes. No. Oh, yeah. No, he was <laughs> totally full, full of shit. Um, but he helped kind of like kickstart that movement in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. And as I was watching th- this movie, I felt that the story was very prescient because it reminded me very much of that sort of idea where once once uh, like a parental figure has an idea of what they think happened in their own mind it doesn't matter what the kid says you know that that was became a lot of the stuff in this satanic panic era which was these parents tell us what they did to you right and then they would say that nothing happened and yeah. then they would be like don't lie to me right i know he touched you yeah. where did he touch you right i know they took you to the basement you know what did they do there and right it's like yeah the kids eventually just gave the answers they thought the adults wanted to hear right right yeah. and it really it felt very much of a piece with with that kind of um sentiment and and kind of his well, i don't like using the word hysteria but uh, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think that's that's warranted talking well, I, about the satanic yeah. panic. I just and I don't Ms. like Giddens. I don't like using it in the context of a crazy woman. Let's put it that way. Sure, fair but, enough. Fair but enough. Uh, um, but yeah, that sort of hysteria around yeah. taking a little kernel of something and just exploding it into this madness. Yeah, and I also think like as much as much as I've been talking about how part of what makes the kids so unsettling in this movie is that they do act very adult. Mm-hmm. What Miss Giddens makes the mistake of doing that Mrs. Gross does not do is that Miss Giddens starts ascribing adult motivations to the children. Yeah, yeah. You know, like Mrs. Gross, she, like they'll be, they were walking into church and the kids were in front of them and Miss Giddens was like, they're whispering, look at them whispering. Right, what do you yeah. think they're talking about? And Mrs. Gross is like, I don't know, kids stuff? I know. <laughs> Like, that's what kids do. They just they whisper. They tell each other secrets. They, yeah. like, have their little plots. This kid kids... thinks they're talking about fucking. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like, she she sees a brother and sister walking arm in arm and yeah. immediately ascribes some sort of grotesque mm-hmm. motivation to it. Yeah. Where it's like, they're just kids who 
happen to get along. Like they're, right, they're siblings yeah. who like have fun together because they're the only real family they have. Yeah. So yeah, it's interesting that sort of like ascribing motivation and also taking those little, little, little pieces of things you see as evidence and then exploding it into a bigger narrative. Yeah. 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 yeah and I really, I really liked it from that angle. Um, yeah. Because it's also a very beautiful movie. Oh my God. It's yeah. I did want to talk about that. Yeah. Um, my favorite scene or sequence in the movie is that scene you were talking about earlier where uh, Miss Giddens is in her night dress. Yes. And she's walking around the dark house holding a candelabra. Yes. It is like a master class in black and white photography. Yep. Moving a camera. Yep. And lighting for film. It is yeah. unbelievable what they do. Like it's what what I think that they were doing mm-hmm. is literally they were like hitting her with spotlights in certain parts of the yeah. house oh. to, to mimic the light sh- cast from the candelabra she's holding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you've got this really specific lighting style that's not showing all of the house. Yep. You're just getting little bits and pieces when they're kind of right. like when she comes around a corner and they kind of hit her from one angle. And uh, there's an amazing shot that is um, I, I kind of I, I, I had I've been dancing around owning this movie yeah <laughs> the criterion Why? collection put it out a couple of years ago i think so it's, it's available on blu-ray i think i'm gonna get it because yeah. i was watching this movie going like i want to just take screenshots from this and just yeah. draw them because they're beautiful and there's this un- there's this amazing shot where she kind of and like they know how good these shots are too because yes. there's a lot of like she'll walk in perfectly framed and they just hang out for a second so you can like look at this awesome shot which is great because not only does it give you a chance to absorb how beautiful it looks but Mm -hmm. it also adds to this sort of atmosphere of like weird like stillness in the house where like when the kids aren't around everything all of a sudden gets very like mausoleum like yes yeah Yeah. but this there's this beautiful shot where it's uh, she's standing on the left and kind of in the background you see this big circular window above like the door yep. and the way the light comes in you see a silhouette of the banister of the stairs yep. and it's just a perfect black and white com- composition shot and I you know this movie alone and Dracula has risen from the grave yes. are the two movies that anytime <laughs> I see Freddie Francis's name show up I get excited because that guy was an amazing cinematographer, and everything in this movie just looks beautiful. Yeah, I, I am. I am looking up right now because the movie that uh, my husband and I came out thinking about was ah, uh, here we go. It was in 1940. Hmm. Uh, Alfred Hitchcock did a version of Rebecca. Oh, right. Yes, he was talking about that. Yeah. Yes, and. There, there are several. There are several things about that movie that remind me of this one. Mm-hmm. Partially, they're both based on works of fiction. Sure. So Rebecca was a Daphne du Maurier novel that Hitchcock. Then it was like the first movie Alfred Hitchcock ever worked on. Oh, really? Like, like, a, like the first big, okay. like you I know, know that. big budget movie. And I, I don't know if he was. I think he directed it, but like the studio still had a lot of control over sure, it. So there sure. were certain things he wanted to do that they wouldn't let him do. Mm-hmm. Or there are certain ways that he sort of like snuck in mm-hmm. things he wanted uh, against their wishes. It's really interesting. But it's got this same sort of vibe of this big, beautiful house. Mm. Um, 
that's very empty and the ambiguity of like is what's happening right now ghosts sure is this supernatural or is it psychological Mm -hmm. and it is also very beautifully shot but it obviously looks much older you know it's it's 20 21 years before this movie oh sure yeah um but yeah they they feel i i highly recommend if you enjoyed this movie check out alfred hitchcock's version of rebecca it's a good companion did they to this movie just remake that they did and it wasn't good yeah i heard it wasn't great it wasn't good which is such a bummer because it's like a very interesting and kind of out there story, mm-hmm. but it's also like, I don't think the Hitchcock version needs to be remade sure. personally. Yeah. Uh, I don't think they there's... did that once and it didn't go well. Yeah. And I just don't think that there's much that like modern cinematography is going to add. Yeah. yeah. It's just not, it's just not necessary. Yeah. That's another thing with the photography is uh, they use a lot in this movie, the same kind of like super, super I don't even know what the name for it is, yeah. but it's that, that Citizen Kane focus. Yes. Where there's someone really, really close in the foreground, yeah. totally in focus, and really, really yeah. far in the background, totally in focus. I know there's a name for it. I always thought that that was done with um, uh, what's called a split diopter shot, which oh, okay. uh, uh, I think we talked about this in, in when we did Carrie. All right, Professor. <laughs> Brian De Palma does it a lot. Oh, where it's like yeah, 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 yeah. Close up behind them yes. is kind of blurry and then yeah. back. Yeah, yeah. I'm just imagining girls outside yeah. doing gym exercises. So yeah. I thought that was the only way you could do that, but yeah. the, the focus is so clear in these shots in this movie. I, mm-hmm. I know there's a name for it. I don't remember what it's called. But it but is such beautiful. an interesting... It's beautiful, but it's also a very strange choice. Like yeah. it, 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 It's sort of... It's like, for me, when I look at that kind of shot, whoever's in the foreground always feels like displaced to me. Mm, you know sure, what I mean? They yeah. feel like they've been sort of like sucked out of the scene around them and isolated in yeah. a weird way, which I think for this movie, it really works. Yeah, oh, like, definitely. Like, like yeah. giving, especially since it's Ms. Giddens usually, like her psychological isolation, I think is reflected in those shots a lot. I'll have to ask Jim. Jim will probably know what that's called. Probably. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, the the other uh, thing that I wanted to mention is I there is a kind of a um, I would it's not a remake, but it is I would say it is a spiritual haha pun spirit, uh, spiritual <laughs> successor to this movie, which is the oh. Nicole Kidman movie The Others, oh. which has I remember seeing that and thinking I, the photography and that was amazing. Yeah, and later on I put the pieces together, being like, oh. Oh, they're just doing the innocence, but in color. So I think it's very similar. Interesting. That re- that really makes me. I really love the others, and that this that makes me want to rewatch it. Yeah. Well, I we will be doing that eventually because yes. it is on our list. Yes, it so. is on our list. Um, is that it? I think that's it. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we wrap it up? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, I I I highly recommend this movie. I I do think even if you're kind of skeptical of these sort of older like you know you're if you're more of a horror fan in the vein of like the 70s 80s horror and you might not think this is for you mm-hmm. it's still pretty legit unsettling yeah and so i i think it's worth giving it a shot even if it feels sort of like not usually your thing yeah it's um it's definitely a different era like you have yes. to be ready for the uh the old old style um, right like we've been saying it is a black and white movie <laughs> yes yeah and it it's and it came out i guess uh i don't know much about this but it was it was shot in uh cinemascope 
which is mm. a specific kind of filmmaking. And I guess after they made this movie, I think it was Warner Brothers who controlled that specific style. Yeah. Uh, they made it a rule that you couldn't do it in black and white. It had to be in color. Oh. So I don't know why that is, but it's. I think it was like using more power to do less you know what i mean got like it, it was, it was it. built yeah. to be a color thing yeah but it makes black and white look amazing yes but they were like why are you wasting this on black and white right so, right right got um it. Huh. but yeah yeah i i think it's a it's a great movie uh i think i would like to own this on video so i could watch it whenever i i, I uh feel like i'll keep it clean i won't i won't go i won't get weird at the end. Um, <laughs> thanks i appreciate it <laughs> but yeah definitely check it out i uh, i like i said it's on the criteria uh, criterion put it out I don't know where you can stream it. Uh, I think you might be able to do it on YouTube. Probably. Slightly less than legally, but I would definitely check it out. Don't tell anyone. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to hit the randomizer button. Beep, boop, boop, beep, beep, boop, 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 boop. And we've landed on number 42, which is about as stylistically different from The Innocence as you can possibly get. And that is 2018's. Nicholas Cage epic Mandy. <gasps> yes. Which I'm very excited to watch. I haven't we're watched swinging, that in a while. We're swinging way in the other direction yes. now. B- equally as beautiful, I would yes, say. Yes, but in a completely in different a very way. Very different way. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think that's going to do it. Uh, thank yeah. you guys for listening. We're still making our way through Friday the 13th on Patreon. Almost there. In October, we did uh, Jason X, and November will be. Freddy versus Jason, which I'm excited about. <laughs> this is like the one you've been waiting for. Yeah. Well, pretty much this whole yeah. this whole Friday the thirteenth endeavor, I think, has been leading you to this one. Yeah, I'm 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 happy we've done this because yes. it actually has really made me come around to this franchise. I, oh, I like good. it a lot more than I did before. Cool. Um I still haven't that still hasn't happened with Halloween. I still think most of the Halloween movies are terrible. Mm. but uh who knows maybe we'll do that next year because i think yeah. they're actually is there 12 now i think there might be 12 halloween 11? movies now 11 12 yeah i don't know, I don't know. uh but if you want to support us on patreon you can go to patreon.com slash the penske file and that will give you access to our friday the 13th coverage as well as an insurmountable number of other podcasts <laughs> that uh amanda and myself have done and myself and wes have done and yes. wes and blah, other people star trek stuff other movie stuff anything anything you could possibly want is probably in there yep uh so thank you guys for listening uh thank you amanda thank you clay and we'll see you next time bye everyone bye.